Hello, listeners. I am Steph Clark. This is I'm a Rescue podcast. Tom is not with me today, so it's a right. It's a girls. (laughs) It's a girls a hummus day. Uh, So sad because we're naked for this one. Too bad he had to miss out. I know. He's weird. He's uh, bad timing. You know that's on Tom. (laughs) He's really messing it up for himself. I have an awesome, amazing comic producer writer actor sure well sure. it's been a while you don't want to hire me but okay sure everybody wants to hire you I'm a little rusty we have a nicole blaine in the house in her house it is my house thank you for doing the podcast thanks for driving all the way over here absolutely it was a beautiful drive i took pch mm. i zoned out i think i might have went off the road a little bit but Do you ever feel like your life could change in one second with how much we drive a stand-up? Oh, yeah. Does it scare you? Oh, it's Every horrifying. single time you go to a gig, you think this could be the last time. And here I'm dying for this horrible show in the middle of, like, nowhere that I'm going to do five minutes that I've already done a thousand times that isn't getting any better or whatever it is. And now I'm probably going to die and no one will ever see me again. And who really cares? Do, do you have all those same thoughts every time Absol- you drive? Absolutely. Okay. Good. Every day. All right. Well, then you get to be Jewish. I grant you <laughs> Judaism. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I just want to make sure it's working. Might have to. I think it is. How do we know? I think I hear you. Do you? <laughs> do I need to talk louder? No, we're good. How do we know? This is my first time with all the plugs and all that shit. Well, it's funny that you're saying that because I actually have a fear of doing podcasts that never record. That yes, that's my other fear. Yes, is that where I've spent some time and I then, think yeah, because look at you know, know how. No, I we're s- we're fucking smart women. Yeah. You see that the if it hits the red, that's not good. What is that? What number am I? One. You're one. Okay. I mean, it looks like things are happening. <laughs> and yeah, I think so. Blinking. There's blinking. I guess that means it's good. I we're killing it. Okay, this is it, you guys. <laughs> People are listening in their car, like, oh my god. Should have listened. Should have listened to Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's not naked. We are. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Nicole, so let's see here. Mm-hmm. You are from Santa Monica. Right where we are right now. I grew up a block and a half away on 14th Street. That's incredible. And now I live all the way on 15th. You're moving on up. I really. <laughs> actually, I think I'm farther away from the ocean, <laughs> so I'm moving on down. Mm-hmm. One day, just in a boat. Yep, <laughs> exactly. So did you, you started stand-up in L.A.? Sadly, yeah. How, how was that? Like, how was, how, did you, were you just... Because I started in L.A. too, Uh and I was just like, oh, okay, I got this. I'm already at the Comedy Store and two weeks later, but it's like, okay, it's a bringer. It's a bringer show. Um, I I think I – there's no choice, right? Like, you're going to do it wherever you are, and at that point, I had a three-year-old, and I was – just had a baby – and I was like, oh, look, I have like a brand new few month old baby. I should go leave it and go do stand up <laughs> <laughs> because that's what makes sense. Um, so I remember the very first night, like, I, you know, you Google like how to start stand up in L.A. And it said, go to an open mic. And that was. Oh, and so the first one I ever went to was where you put your name in the lottery bucket at the um, the meltdown. You remember the meltdown? Uh, on no, sunset? I don't. No, no. The, okay, yeah. And so they had—I don't remember what day it was on, but uh, yeah, you would. It was the meltdown at the the magazine, the comic store place. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. What was that? Co- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How did I? I was thinking of the melting pot. Oh no, no, where no, no, you, no. Where the yeah. cheese? 
I'm on a different level. Not the cheese. <laughs> Close. Yeah. No cheese involved. I remember. And yes. It was like the hottest mic in town. Right. And there was, you know, a hundred something people would put their name in the bucket. And I just remember looking at the scene and being like, what am I doing? I, pu- I remember pumping breast milk on the way <laughs> in my car. You can you can get like a strap that holds it while you drive so you can be handless and you can like plug into your um it's uh where how do you light cigarettes right right whatever the outlet the outlet right so i pump on the way to this open mic and um prepared in my head you know the three minutes that i was gonna do which was um a really horrible idea i'll tell you later when i really did do it but anyways thank god i didn't get called i went three times and felt super uncool and didn't know how to talk to anybody and there was like special guests you know they would have drop-ins like famous people were like running time and stuff like that yeah because the comedy store did a show later on Mm -hmm. before they closed down right so it was like a super scene and I felt like a real idiot and um, didn't want to tell anyone like yeah well I've got like breast milk in my car that I parked five blocks away and I should have rolled down the window for it <laughs> I don't know <laughs> right? the same as kids <laughs> totally <laughs> so it was just scary and I then I think on the third time I got called and it was probably horrible I'm, I'm assuming it was a bad it was a bad thing but later um, I ended up doing this joke that I still do today about my vagina getting blown up after having a baby because things went wrong it was sewed back improperly oh really yes oh wow like she sewed my lips together <gasps> next time i'm in a show with you i'll do the show i'll do that bit oh i thought you're gonna show me pictures oh <laughs> i was like not after the hummus <laughs> yeah right. i have supplied stephanie with some really nice hummus it's delicious um no so i i do this it's like a three and a half minute bit and I, like I said, I'll still do it today. And it, it doesn't work as a host. Like when I'm opening a show, it's a terrible idea because it's so dirty and it's so raunchy. But what did I know as a new comic? So starting in L.A. in the scene, I finally did get called up on an open mic. And I will never forget being so prepared to do this joke. And I remember exactly there's a comic who was sitting in the front row. And I know who she is. We've really, truly never spoken. Um, and she's pretty good. She's been hanging on for all these, you know. By the way, this was eight years ago. Right. But uh, she sat in the front row at this open mic. And I did this joke. And I saw her take her hand and move it to the girl sitting next to her and clench her hand. Like, oh, my God. Can you believe this <gasps> old lady telling a joke about her broken vagina with all these 20-year-old hipsters? Wow. And and I'll never forget how she made me feel. Right, right. Old, out of place, and bad, which I was all those things, but fuck you. But be polite, but bitch. But be po- like, I just, can, you can't you tell this is my yeah. first time? Like, it was, maybe you can't, um, because what do you know? But there is, like, a snobby thing about that, you know, and I remember being a few years in another comic, I won't mention, but I can see this person's facial expressions yeah. of, like, what is she talking about? Yeah. And, you know, you remember how people made you feel. Yeah. So just smile or go out of the room. It was so coming up in L.A. felt like that, like that moment sort of felt like it has stayed with me because I always feel so old and so out of it. And how am I going to win over these young, hip dudes, let alone the, the young, hip girls? You know what I mean? And so and it's hard because all of my jokes, almost all of them are about my kids. You know what I mean? Right. And so then 
it that's so I think coming up in LA has been hard just because I feel weird and and out of it but I think that I think your perspective is so great because it's like oh there's not that many female comics talking about their kids or you know their vagina being their sewn vagina up wrong. right mm-hmm. exactly yeah you're you're out there doing it and I'm, t- I'm sure in that Silver mo- Lake most, yeah <laughs> most women can relate you know what I'm saying at yeah some po- like most people like exactly it's not for you're not you know I have to remember that too it's not for impressing the other comics who right. they don't give a shit right what what whatever you get over it yeah, it's yeah. for the crowd it's it for is. the audience it's yeah. for and I'll say most people can relate because also we should be able to relate to these parenthood jokes because you were recently a child right right like I'm trying to make it so that you you can cross over in either direction so so I don't know LA's hard also I don't know about you but I also feel like then those people when they see you in the first few years you've had such a bad first impression because you're not so good that right. they carry that on forever that oh, they absolutely. always think of you as pretty crappy so I I feel like in my head I don't know if I'll ever get to be on really fancy schmancy shows because no one sees me as anything but like that mom comic and I think that you because you produce well you had a great show for a long time we'll talk about that but you also produce and I think that I worked with you the first time a while ago Mm -hmm. maybe like five or six years ago when I because I've only been doing it seven years Mm -hmm. and I was pretty new and it was those rooms where I don't feel comfortable you know those just uh, those LA rooms yeah and I don't think I did great that night. And what you were show are you talking about? There was some show. Fuck. Where were we? Um, Do- Dewey? Is that his name? Do you know? Do you remember him? I don't know. Keep going. <laughs> it was somewhere in L.A. I don't remember the name of the show. Okay. It was just, uh, I remember Tom was there with me. And then we, ch- we chatted with you for a little bit. And I think. Tom, this was probably Tom just was found out about Conan oh, or right cool. around then. So this is 2015. Okay. Maybe it was four years. So yeah, four years ago, probably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I didn't have a great set. And then mm-hmm. I, it's, and then, uh, and then you let me do your show a few years later. And I was like, yeah. I think that you see people's progress, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and that, and not, not that many comics are able to do that. I agree. So do you, then do you think because you've had that, experience that you're able to have a different set of eyes when you see comics as a producer yeah yeah I root for the underdog in general because I always feel like an underdog so I feel like it's my responsibility as it should be all people to like always booking on almost every lineup I have I always feel like you should save a spot for some up-and-coming person who wants to like spread their wings a little bit Right. And I think that you do such an incredible job of making everyone feel comfortable. I hope so. And I think people perform at their best when they feel welcomed. Mm-hmm. So yes. It's so funny. I just wrote something yesterday. I never feel invited to the party. So I just started throwing them. Yeah. That's I love that. That, that just captures it. Ev- like just so simple. Right. Because yeah. like that's the only excuse you feel that you belong somewhere is when like you're the host. And so then yes. it was great. So how do I make anyone who's ever doing my show feel completely appreciated? And then then I'll feel OK in that space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let, let's let's go back to like before, you know, when you met um, you met your husband and mm-hmm. you had and, and let's start with their like just that journey of like, I don't know, how did you guys meet and it feels so it's it's so like I feel like people are like, oh, what a lame But um. 
I had a crush on him when I saw him when I was 13 years old. Oh, my gosh. I know. Um, he was three years, three grades older than me, three years, three grades older than me. And so he was a junior in high school at Santa Monica High, and I was an eighth grader. And he was dating my best friend's older sister. And they were in a play together. They were doing Grease. He was Kaneki. And so I went and saw Grease. And I saw this guy for the first time and was like, that's the most beautiful human I've ever seen him. I still to this day think it's the prettiest person in the I'll, I'll have to show you a picture. And, uh, and so I remember meeting him afterwards after the play. And I was like, well, good thing I'm a theater nerd. I've been doing theater since I was five. And I was like, I'm going to go to Samo next year and definitely audition for the plays just so I can be near him in the wings and stare at him. So I went to Samo. That's what we call Santa Monica High okay, School. Okay, got you. So I went to Samo uh, um, my freshman year. He was now a senior. And so, of course, I dated his best friend. Of course. Who was, you know, a high school, ended up being like a high school dropout and was super abusive. And I was oh. like, that's who would go for me. Give me the guy with acne and knows how to like really make me feel horrible about myself. Sign me up. So I was with his best friend for four years all oh. through my high school. So I stayed friends with Mickey the entire time. And then we became really close buddies, right? Because we we're always just hanging out together and there was no pressure. Right. And then I went away to college and we ended up running into each other, and the rest is history. Oh wow! Okay, so I thought you guys were like high school sweethearts, but it kind of it wasn't it wasn't that at first. No, no, you got to get some good date rapes in there, oh, you gosh. know, all that sort of stuff, and then you're ready to settle down. Yeah, I just feel like as women, like as young women, we just put up with that shit. Yep. Well, and for me, at 14, like starting to date some mean guy, it was like, oh my god, there's someone who will have lunch with me. Like, I'll do whatever, you know, like, I, I don't know. Did you not have that? You didn't have a bad boyfriend in high school? Yeah, no, I did. Okay. I, I And in my 20s. Mm. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I mean, no, not good. But right. like, you know. Yeah. We stick around. We think we're never going to get anybody else. And this is this is what we have to do. I don't know. Is that how it was for you? Yeah. Um, I like I, I was just talking to um, another comic about this. And she has a love podcast and it's like sometimes I go in and out of being very confident and secure to like having insecurities. And so I think that reflects on the relationships I had when I was younger. What do you mean? You know what I mean? Like um, just like, oh, this is what this is normal. This is what I deserve. I don't mm -hmm. deserve anything better than this. But then I'll I'll feel confident and be like, what the fuck am I doing? I don't need to be with this asshole. You know what I mean? Well, it's funny because I feel like that still translates for me today because I'll look at my husband and go, I don't deserve this good. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's the same thing. And I'm always like, I don't know what you're doing with me. Like, I am a crazy person. Um, and I don't know why you stick around or why you're so nice to me. So Aww. I feel like it goes both ways. And how long have you guys been together now? 23 years. Wow. And so then like when you were in uh, newlyweds or you were, st you know, dating at that time, mm -hmm. did you guys start working together? Like what was his journey into like he produces, right? Oh, that's a good question. So he was the aspiring actor when we were younger and he had some success as a child actor. Um, and then when we were those friends, when I was dating his friend, and he was dating somebody else. Um, he stopped doing acting and decided at that point, as soon as his relationship was over with her, he was like, I actually feel like I'd rather get into more of the writing and the directing stuff. Um, so I was at that time at Loyola Marymount University. We started dating. 
And I was like, look, here's the deal. You have, if you want to date me or one day marry me, you have to go to college. And that was my own baggage that I had. Like I carried on some of my own stuff with like, I felt bad for my dad as a little kid. He was always perpetually unemployed and my mom divorced him because she was like, he never grew up type thing. And so I always felt really sad for my dad because he was the nicest guy. I was always in love with him, but he like couldn't get a job to save his life. And he was a starving artist. And so I put it on like, well, my mom went to college and had all this money. So I have to be with someone who has a college degree and has a day job. And so I was really annoyed that I fell in love with this artist. And I said, so here's the deal. You have to go to college and get a degree because my dad didn't. And that freaks me out. And you'll have to have a day job. And I will do everything and anything for you till the day you die in support of your creative artistic career as long as you have a regular job so that we don't starve because we were starving as kids with my dad it was we were poor poor and so I didn't want that I didn't and so he said absolutely and I said but I will always believe in you I will do whatever I can to get you to the next level I will commit to it and he was like great and I knew he wanted to be a writer so I was like you write and I'll figure it out and then it was in college since then I was like pursuing acting and stuff and I was like you know you should write parts for me and direct them and I'll produce them. And that was wow. that was it. It was like the same thing that you do with Tom, which is let's make like no one's going to do it for us. Right. How are you ever going to do this? So we started um, putting on plays at LMU and doing like one acts and then submitting it to the American College Theater Festival and getting into that. And then as soon as we graduated, then it was like, well, let's rent a theater and just keep doing it. So then we've been doing it together from the beginning. Wow, that's incredible. So like what made you realize that no one's going to help you and that you have to get you have to take control of your career and produce it yourselves and work together and get a theater space and all of that. What what do you think that came from that mentality? I think it came from no one ever casting me. <laughs> like yeah. I think it came from too many tears of going. I mean, and same thing with his scripts which I thought were really good and I couldn't get a person to look at it like an agent, you know, and right. there were so many people like at LMU, we went to school with kids that were very successful. Like they weren't friends with me. I don't want, I'm going I'm to name drop, but I don't really think I know them. But like we were in school with like Colin Hanks and Busy Phillips and um, Linda Cardellini, right? Like so Freaks and Geeks was happening right. and all of that. And it was like we were so far removed. I was not in their circle. I was not cool enough to be in their circle. They didn't even know we existed. But I was like, well, they're the lucky ones. Like they're getting they're getting stuff. And I'm sure they have a story that they feel differently about. This is this is from an outsider's this is perspective. What you, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so it just felt like, well, I don't know how they're doing it. So we're just going to have to make it ourselves because I don't, I don't think we're ever going to get anywhere without it. And I think it's true. I think we've gotten nowhere for 20 years, but it's been really fun. Oh no, you haven't. (laughs) But I think I have that same perspective of like, you know, I just did a contest and it's like, I feel industry likes a certain type Mm -hmm. where they're like, Oh, we can make that into a sitcom. Right. And it's like, okay, well I'm just going to always be not what they want. And that's fine with me. And I don't really give a shit. Mm hmm. And that's kind of the path you you took of like, you know what? I'm just going to create and do my own thing. It was, it it felt like if we don't do it, we'll never do anything. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I remember the very first play that we did outside of college. um, And it was a continue. We had done it as a one act in college. It was called Out of the Cubicle. 
And then we made it into a two act and we rented, I don't know if you know this theater, but it's, it shouldn't even be called a theater. <laughs> it's, it's more of like um, a, a cave above Moshdi Malone's, which is like on, what is it? Like Hollywood and it's around Hollywood, Sunset and Vine or something like that. And it's this rinky, it's called the Next Stage Theater. I don't even know if it exists anymore. Anyways. You wouldn't know because these theaters don't answer the co- the phone. I, I don't think they have a phone. Yeah, no, there's no way. <laughs> but anyways, it was a hole-in-the-wall theater that was so small, and the air conditioning was leaking onto the stage. There was a bit of a puddle, but we had a cast of, like, 15 for this play, and there were, I remember there was, like, six people in the audience, like – and we, we ran it for a little bit. And that was, that was, I was like, we're, this is it. We're living the dream. <laughs> right. <laughs> there, the, like there was literally water falling on our heads. There was rats. It was, it was horrifying. Um, and then after that though, I feel like we were like, well, we wanted to get into like film. So we took all our money and made a feature length. Oh, I didn't know film. that. Mm-hmm. What, what's it called? That first one we did was called Commit. Commit. Can can we watch it in any? You can. It's, yeah. it's now on Amazon. Who oh, knew? Wow. Yeah, you could you could get it on Amazon. Um, but it was really fun just because it was right when digital. Everyone was changing from film to digital, and at that time, the longest you could have a digital take without cutting. So listen, I mean, God, what year was that? If I was, it was like almost fourteen years. I don't know, something like that. So um, like two thousand fifth, two thousand. Or 2005, 2006? Right, right, yeah. Right around then, 2006. Yeah. And um, you could have a 30-minute take. That was the... And then it would cut off. Okay. Yeah. Now you could film forever. But, like, at that point, like, digital was new. And so we decided to do three 30-minute acts uncut, never stopping, and trying to get it perfect in those 30 minutes and so then, and it was all about this couple meeting on a blind uh, date, but the date wasn't really to meet. It was actually, they were both depressed and didn't have the guts to kill themselves on their own. <laughs> so they were going to go on, they like found each other online to then do a joint suicide. Wow. And they would each kill each other. So then that would be what it is. So it's each act is like their first meeting in a coffee shop for those full 30 minutes. And the second act is like, are we really, let's plan how we're going to do it. And then the third act is them in the hotel meeting and going to now kill themselves. So it's it's called Commit. Commit. And Mickey then has that same dark sense of humor. He Thank is. The, yes. I feel like he made me love the dark side of comedy. So he wrote that 100% all in his own. And then I just produced it with him and got to act in it with our friend that we dragged into it. And Mickey directed it. But it was it was and we shot it. We went back to Samo High High School and asked our theater teacher if we could build the sets in his giant huge like warehouse space so we built a coffee shop and we built the hotel room and hung all the lights and put them on dimmers like theaters so that when the camera was on for 30 minutes to do the lighting changes it was all completely like almost called and he would like call it as a director like lights up on this like theater so it was a combination of theater and film in that sense of like production did he let you have it for free the space yes because we this theater his name is dr frank ford we're still close with him um he had been i think he taught at Samuel for almost like 20 30 years and so we were his students for a bit and he always gives back to his students yeah see I think that a lot of times people don't see how they can get things for free or right. do favors or make it work within a budget mm-hmm. so so 
how did you realize that you're like, we can make this work like with lighting and all, you know, I mean, it's a big task to take yeah. on a feature. I think we were dumb enough to think we could do it. Do you, like, I think you Naive. have to have sort of a blind ignorance that you don't know how hard anything is until you do it. Totally. If you If you knew how horrible and how much paperwork, you know what I mean? Any, any side of production is, you know what I mean? And, and when you're coordinating first, actor, I yeah. mean, it's endless, it's endless, you know? And at that point, especially when you do your first one, you don't know all the legal releases that you need. And you know, well, we're going to be non-union, so I didn't have to deal with SAG stuff. But later when we did other ones, then you have to teach yourself that stuff like that. And I don't know. I think you end up going, someone tells you like, well, now you're going to need, E and O insurance, you know, you're like E and O insurance. Like, what is that? And little do you know, it's five thousand dollars, and you're gonna have to get it later. And it's just you're like, what? But what is it? And how do you fill it out? And you call up Film Emporium, and Darren answers the phone, and he's like, here's the form, fill it out, and you figure it out. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what your question was. Did I answer it? I think so. Just okay. like, I don't even remember it either. I don't know, but, but it was very I interesting. I, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you this: we decided to borrow five thousand dollars from my mom. And by borrow, I mean she gave because <laughs> she's amazing and put $5,000 on a credit card, which we had set that we would pay off by this certain amount of time if we never went out to any dinners for like two years. And so we did it. And this is before GoFundMe. Yes. Yeah, like, it didn't you exist. Do it, you yeah. did it yourself. You yeah, did it yourself. So we, did. we spent $10,000 on the whole thing um, and we shot it in, we did three day shoot, one day per act right and it took like wow. 17 tries because it had to be uncut for that 30 minutes right we we're shooting uncut for 30 minutes it took 17 tries to even just get through one whole act the like without stopping at some point was there any panic moment like because tom and i did a pilot ourselves too a long time ago for mm -hmm. a very low budget mm -hmm. one day we realized the sound wasn't working yeah. was there any like yes. panic moments the second day uh, something like the camera thing had broke and we completely, or wait, maybe it was the first day. It must've been the first day and we lost the entire day and then ultimately had to film both act one and act two on the second day. Yes. Oh my God. And yeah, it was a total panic and you've got, I've, you know, it was at this coffee shop. So I'd invited every friend and every family member to sit in our coffee shop and they to all, be extras. to be extras and they all <laughs> just sat there all day doing absolutely nothing and me like on the verge of tears and by the way just wait the type of mood <laughs> I had been training I had to get into my underwear for a part of this movie so I was like I'm gonna train I want to look like a stripper like that was my goal like so I hired a personal trainer and I trained for like legitimately hardcore for six months like I worked out every day for two hours wow. for six months I ate I'm not exaggerating 11 meals a day Oh, my goodness. Yeah, portioned out every two hours. Like, I was eating dry turkey and raw vegetables for six months. So by the time I got on that fucking set, I was a raging bitch. <laughs> I was so hungry. Like, <laughs> I looked amazing. I mean, I've, and I don't ever need to look that good ever again. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> it was so much work. But, like, everyone was like, oh, my God, how do you feel? And I was like hungry that's all I feel right now is star I'm starving <laughs> so yeah that's in that's incredible so then when <clears throat> after that feature that you guys did mm -hmm. you um did you because you produced something for Quincy yes, Jones that was later that was later yeah, yeah, yeah so then so that was already the time you were doing stand-up 
no, this was way earlier. The we made that when I was twenty nine, and I didn't start stand up till I was thirty four. So and so that so we did that. So commit was all of twenty nine and thirty. Right. Got pregnant at thirty. Was doing all the film festival circuits through the twenty nine thirty. Okay. And that was super fun. That was actually I think we we got into a pretty good amount. Like only because I think it was a dark comedy and it was a two person movie. By the way, wow. You know we were the only two people in the whole thing except for my grandma and all the extras that were in the coffee shop. Um. So it it did it did all right in like the small festivals. It didn't get any anything big, but so like it had cool. that that element of simplicity and dark comedy, like the Duplass Brothers kind of those yes. films. There's a great movie with the two puffy chair. Yeah, is that oh, okay? I don't. I think there was a. I forget. There's there's another one I really liked. It was like black and white two person. They've done so much good so stuff. So many. I I'm obsessed with them. I really like them. They I think that ours came out the year before theirs went to. If I'm right chronologically um the puffy chair was what kind of got them into south by southwest okay and all that stuff now did you do a two-person because of just budget or is that that is that what was a motivating factor yeah like i that's that but then i love that too right and that's what i think is the best thing about as if you want to create anything you have your restrictions and then you're going to make that work so i was like well he he thought if we take our theater background, because we had both grown up in theater and been doing all those plays, so we knew that technically we could do a 90-minute flawless shoot, right? So therefore, we could easily divide it into three 30-minute. So we hired a friend that had come up at Santa Monica High School with us, Forrest Erickson, and he was like this super talented, amazing actor who never wanted to pursue it, but was always willing to be like, yeah, of course I'll do that for you. So he's non-union, he's brilliant, he's and he's also happened to be like incredibly gorgeous. Like, <laughs> his name is Forrest Erickson. What do yeah, you expect? Exactly. Like, of course, he's perfect. Um, but we knew that we needed someone who could handle memorizing 90 minutes and would be willing to come over three times a week to our apartment and rehearse it we rehearsed with him for three months straight so and mickey would as the director direct it theatrically and then know how he was going to then have a dp shoot it and how the camera would circle around us or where it would go and that i would have to move forward on a certain line so that it would you know whatever so it i do like we knew that we could only get another person to do it I could we couldn't have done a huge cast because it is so much more expensive and then we figured we could get Samuel high yeah I think you have to just look at what you can afford your resources your resources and then do it it was the same thing we made another feature um when I was 35 and a half so at that point I had started stand-up I had my second kid by that point and it was again it was called I'm Harry Clark and it was a dark political comedy um and again we shooted almost knowing I have an aunt who owns a restaurant. We'll be able to shoot there. I have, you know, my uncle owns an office space. We'll do that. My other uncle owns like a hospital setting. Great. We can have a hospital scene. So it was literally like, let's piece a story together based on locations. Wow. Yeah. That was, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. So then you're, yeah, you're like, what do we have available to us? I think you should start there. Yeah. Like now my husband is a high school teacher. So we know that we have a high school to shoot in. So he did the coolest thing. And and it's also the worst thing ever. Um, now I just feel like I'm talking too much. No, I love it. This is, wh- this is a we podcast. Always, no, we have our guests. Like I love hearing stories and like that's. Yeah. OK, good. So he became so his day job that I made him get. Not that I, I just he had to get something. He ended up being a high school theater teacher. 
And that's so cute. Yeah. That's so cute. That's awesome. So now he's got these incredibly talented high school students and an entire high school campus. So it's like, whoa, what are we going to do with that? That's like a gem for like filmmakers. Absolutely. Like we should be making the next high school musical, you know? So he directs three plays a year. And last year I said to him, instead of directing three plays, what if you can one of them and teach these kids filmmaking? And you take the first semester and you do pre-production with them. Second semester is production and third semester is post and you could teach them to edit. Uh, He was not able to successfully teach them to edit. So he ended up having to edit the whole thing himself this summer. But he shot a feature film with these kids. And he was like, well, we'll write it for them. You know, like we can write something for them. So we wrote them a full length, you know, high school feature film. Wow. And they got to and he's the only adult involved in it. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Is there is there going to be like an event for it to release it? I mean, I think, yes, he'll do he'll do like a screening for the kids, but yeah. he wants to submit it to film festivals like it's almost 100 percent student done. That's incredible. You know, like it's literally I mean, it's kind of a cute idea, like one high school teacher and 70 kids. Wow. I mean, it's a, and I don't even know if they realize how cool that experience is. Like I would have right. loved that. Right. As a kid. Yes. I mean, legitimately learning filmmaking. And there's such a difference of because I went to Oak Park and that's a Ventura County. And so in your Santa Monica and then it's such a we're surrounded by that the film industry. Mm-hmm. And I remember taking a film class, but it was just kind of the basic history of it. Right. It was never hands on. No. And why aren't why aren't those programs available in the public school district? You know, well, and they've got the resources. He has been donated three red cameras. And that's when I said, like, what are you doing with them? They shouldn't just be sitting there and letting these kids, like, film some, you know, silly news show. Like, teach them. I do think it was too big of an undertaking to start on, only because now he had to do post all summer by himself. So this this year, I was like, you know, why don't you now start teaching them the beginnings of making your own high-quality web series? Like if so, I was like, let's show them the history of doing it yourself. Let's show them the Broad City Girls. Let's show them um, what what's the one with from HBO Confessions of it used to be Confessions of an Awkward Black Girl, and now it's oh um, um, insecure insecure. So that was rooted in her own uh, web series oh, that okay. she had wow, started. I didn't know that. Yeah. So in showing these kids the beginnings and say like, let's watch the first do-it-yourself season of Broad City before went to Comedy Central. Like, these these girls were geniuses. I'm oh, like, yeah. Look, they did it. Like, here's how you write a beginning, middle, and an end. And they were an out, They were the underdog mm-hmm. because um, UCB was like, no, they wouldn't add them to their team. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know yeah, that story. Yeah, I mean, they were in UCB. Like, that's how they met in a class, but oh. they weren't added to, like, a team. See? So they're like, screw this. Let's go do our own web show. And that's, that's it. where it started. Right. So I feel like that's what Mickey needs to do for these kids is go – Listen, here's how to do it so that when you get out of here, if you actually want to do this, you're going to know. And he does everything even from the beginning. He goes, you have to audition on a self-tape. So he like has taught them how to start self-taping for auditions. Wow. And like some other kids he hired as agents and that they had to like fight for their clients to get in and send <laughs> over contracts and, you know, go through all like, how do you look at the legal stuff? You know, and like then this was the really cool part. So because like you're right, all the kids parents are like half of them are involved in the industry anyway so one of the kids who volunteered to be the dp and shoot it his dad is a famous dp 
it's the his dad is the dp for handmaid's tale oh gosh i was like are you kidding me <laughs> like this is so so of course like the you know that dad comes on set one day and is like let me you know show you a few things with a camera and it's ultimately like these kids have no idea like how cool is that right yeah that's unbelievable yeah, it's really cute that's am- and then you know what in 10 years they're gonna hire you guys <laughs> exactly hopefully they don't forget about us <laughs> yeah return the favor please <laughs> i'd like that so so then uh so once you when you were doing stand-up like a few years in you've you've had um virgin sacrifice was mm-hmm. your was your baby and you recently retired it i did where did that idea come from or i guess for people that don't know about it maybe mm-hmm. just talk about Tell that show story yeah um, so I just started out, I felt like I was only about a year-ish into doing stand-up, and I wanted to start producing a show, and I was in a show at the Westside Comedy Theater in Santa Monica, I was performing, and strangely, I guess there was a babysitter I had that night, so my poor husband had to come now and, and watch, that was now going to turn into our date night or whatever, and I was sitting backstage, and there was some guy in the green room shaking violently. He was so nervous. And I was like, are you okay? And he was like, I am not okay. I do not want to go up on that stage. And I was like, oh, is it? What's up? And he was like, you don't understand. I've never done this. I don't ever want to do it. I lost a bet. I'm a professional boxer. Oh, my God. And he was like shitting himself. So, and he was really cute. He was like from Sweden and he had one of those really cute little accents and he was adorable anyway. So the host hears this, that, you know, he's lost a bet. He knows nobody in the audience except for the one guy he lost the bet to. It's like a sold out Saturday night show and he's shaking and the host says, hey, give it up for this guy. He lost a bet. He's a professional boxer. He's going to do five minutes. Uh, And he got up there midway through one cute joke, made everybody laugh. By the end, they gave him a standing ovation. Oh, wow. He walked off. He was like, that was the greatest experience of my life. And we walked out. And my husband said, that's the show we do. We will pack the show with huge name comedians. So we'll get really big people and make it a phenomenal show. Book five or six strong comics. And at the very end, have one person who's never done it and was never planning on doing it. And will never do it again. Wow. It is just that one off. So did Mickey then see the crowd that this guy has all these friends and then that triggered in his mind like... No one in that crowd even was his friend. It was the concept of rooting for the underdog. Wow. And that people will rally when it's that scary. It's like everyone's yelling, jump, jump, jump. You know what I mean? I mean, not in a suicide way. I mean, like in a good way, you know. And then I realized if I book a local L.A. person and they bring all their friends, then... I'm going to pack the house because that's the hardest part as a producer. Right. How do you fill the seats? Right. Right. It's not the quality of comics. There's plenty of them. There are more comics than there are spots. Absolutely. So I realized I was like, so I went up to the West Side Comedy Theater. I said, I'd like to do a show here. I have this idea. It's called Virgin Sacrifice. And they were like, "Mm, okay, try it. You know what? Right. Why not? (laughs) So I booked my friend and invited everyone I knew. She invited everyone she knew. And then I started realizing I'll make all the marketing and promotions for these virgins. I will tell them you send out an email six weeks in advance, a reminder at four, a thing at two, a ticket link, you know, so forth and so on. And I would do all the promotions and tell them what to do, but they had to be popular. They had to be willing to email it to 200 friends. And then I did that show once a month for six years and every single show sold out. 
Wow. And then I was done. It was like the most incredible show in LA. Aww. It was. I oh, mean, you're th- so sweet. I mean, as far as the concept, the quality, the idea, I remember we, we talked backstage and you mm-hmm. told me too, like you coached them. Yeah. Like so you yeah, so them. I would work with them for the six to eight weeks before their show. They would send me over. I'd say, say, if you want help, and again, I'm nobody. I'm not Sarah Silverman, so what do I know? But if you write it out, I'm happy to help you punch it up, move things around, like get the punchlines, and teach them little quick things like rules of three, callbacks, you know, a misdirect, and kind of really piece it out for them and I would send them videos of like comics that I thought they could learn from like I was like look Michael Costa does the perfect oh, Michael Costa oh, so funny he's the best and he's such a nice guy nicest guy nice I love him I'm forever in love with Michael Costa but he has he did a set on um Leno a long long time ago he's wearing like a blue polo or something and he has the perfect story of a bicycle accident and so I would send that clip to all of my virgins and be like, watch this so that you see that he's teaching He's teaching a, a comedy perfect, cl- little does he know. His joke is so meticulously written with that misdirect coming from the left, but he had set it up so perfectly. So I would do that with them and, and help them along the way. Yeah, so you're te- you're like teaching comedy too in a way. I had no, no reason that I should be, but like, you know, I was teaching it through Michael Costa. <laughs> really, Michael Costa has been given comedy lessons i am his vessel for him as a teacher yeah now did anyone just because it's la and there's so many shitty shady people Uh did anyone steal the concept and then try to like you know a virgin sacrifice actually and there is somebody doing it right now oh really that's really funny that you ask because of course they see what works Uh and then they take it so i also feel like i don't know if these people steal or if it's just just like with jokes, you're like, well, there, I mean, everyone has an itchy butthole, you know, like, so of course we're all taught, you know, like that, like who's really stealing what the weird thing is that he's using the word virgin sacrifice <gasps> in the title. So he won't accept my French request on Facebook, which is a little suspicious because all male comics are always happy to take he, your he's, friend request. He's calling it virgin sacrifice. Yeah, he has a few other words in it. But like it was like at first it started like sacrifice a virgin or like something eventually just became like a virgin sacrifice. And this was like a year and a half after I had started it and I had already had a website and everything. So I and I had gotten it copywritten because I knew it could totally happen. Um, and I sent him over like a cease and desist. Hey, this is copywritten and blah, 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 blah. Just change your name. Right. The concept is going to be able to be used. Right. But like, or they can switch it up. How, you know, whatever. Sure. It's going to happen because they see it being a successful show. Right. And, uh, and I went to one of his shows and watched it and it was like a poor man's version. Like he didn't, he's not a, he's not a strong producer, you know? Right. Period. End of story. Um, so he didn't he didn't get the structure as well as he should have. But he's like doing it out of his house. So I can't like go spy on him anymore. It was like at one point he was doing it out of a restaurant. Um, but, you know, and then and then now I'm not doing it anymore. And I'm like, well, good when luck. He, so when he when you sent him a season desist letter, uh, did he change the name? No. And he kept doing it and he does it on and off. It's not as consistent as I am or was. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess some some part of me is just like. I'm not a fighter, you know, like you like I already know it's my show. And what else am I going to do about it? If you're I think you can sell the 
show the name and everything you know right. if you wanted to right because it is that's true there is a profit like it's a valuable thing you know what i mean yeah and especially true. if you own the rights to it i do it's just the, it, it's so difficult when it's like then you send a letter and then nothing happens so what's the next process it's like do you now it's time consuming i know well and that's that's the problem with everything with me and i feel the same thing with suing like i don't have time for it i'm too busy doing getting my kids to swim class yeah you know to like go and i don't know if yeah. he was actually doing really well with it then maybe then there'd be a problem but like him in his living room right have fun buddy. right totally so when you were doing did you create a show that you wanted to produce like monthly for that stage time to trade like was that a way in it was it was stage time it was yeah stage time. it was no one else is going to give me stage time and I do think that you learn the most from hosting and I still do it you know um so it was that I I was always hesitant the problem with me with trading was that the concept of that show was big names right so it, it doesn't like, really work for that it didn't work as much so I would only be able to do it for like maybe that one friend spot um but now I produce um, like a pop, like a once a month at the, I find again, it's like the West Side regulars. I'm doing that, but it's a late night thing. But that is nice that I can give spots away to that. And I'm helping out every Monday. I'm producing with Esther Steinberg and um, Brent Gill. They run the Kibitz Room. Oh, yeah. Panthers. I think I saw a flyer for that. So that's every Monday. So I get to help produce that and, and book. But, but, you know, they want big recognizable names for that one, too. So I can't give them out as willy-nilly as I'd like to but now like because you're a nice person and mm -hmm. then it's also like it's hard to not to always be like I'm a positive person too but I also don't like bullshit yeah. and do you notice that when you were producing that people that wouldn't give you the time of day before all of a sudden were nice to you huh I more feel like it's just not reciprocated like the favors not returned is that yeah. what you mean yeah What's interesting more is that I feel like I've booked a lot of people and I feel like they haven't been good about being kind and booking me back. And the only thing I can think of is they just don't think I'm good. I think I Which talk is fair enough. And I don't think that's it. I talk to Tom about this often because it bothers me too. Like it's just something that bothers me in this business. Yeah. That I think they don't think to return the favor. Really? I. It's just a there's so much ego that certain people just do what they have to do to get whatever they want. And that's a shitty way to see it, but it's hard not to see it that way. I, I just take it personal. Like, I'm like, Oh, you just think I'm, I'm bad. Yeah. I don't that they think, Oh, I should help her, but I don't want her to bring down my show. See, I'm too insecure. I think that, I think that way sometimes for myself too. Yeah. But not, but not as much. Yeah. It's so, uh, and it's hard because the truth is, is same thing with my shows. Like I don't want to book really struggling um, baby comics because you wouldn't do well at the kibitz room. If you aren't ready for that rough of a bar show, and it was the same thing with Virgin Sacrifice, even though it was the best audience, you know, because it was such big names and you'd be up, you know, right in front of Brian Callen, mm -hmm. you don't want to be too young. Mm -hmm. Like I had no business being in those lineups. Only because I created the party was I allowed to be there. Right. And it's like sometimes some people do take it personal. It's like it's maybe it's a no right now, but it's not a no forever. Right. 
And so it's you know hard. I mean? So that's why I feel like I empathize with them as the producer thinking, oh, well, Nicole just isn't ready enough for my space. What I what I ho- when I hold it against people is when I'm like, no, I've been to your room. It's it's I wouldn't take a major shit on the the, the bar show. Like, you know what I mean? But like, you're also you're a kick ass comic and you do a great job and well, you're, you're hilarious. Nice me. I mean, some I mean, sometimes you do my rooms and they're not always easy. Yeah. Um, but I'm better today than I was when I started, right? Like now it's eight years in. Right. And so back then I understand, you know, but so now I get even more angry because I am eight years in and I'm like, well, now I know I'm not like the worst on the show. You know what I mean? Like I'm not the best, but like even big names I've seen not do well. And that's the thing is everyone's going to not do well. Yeah. That's just how it's going to go. So I don't know. And you were in Big Sky. Yes. Last year. Last year. And that's a that's a like that's a huge festival. That felt special. Did it? Like so what was the process of that? Like you submitted a clip like I've never I've only done just I've done just Ventura Fest. That's it. How'd it go? It's fine. I was in the semifinals two years. Um, it was just because it's like down the street. Yeah, you know? so that's nice. I don't know. I not. I'm still not quite sure how I feel about festivals, but I know that's yeah. a very respect. Like a um, people. It's real, a good one. The yeah, Big Sky is a very it, great festival. It felt really good. Like it was. It was, now you know. I also produce a festival. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, because I, w- I had Tom mm-hmm. um, come and speak on one of the panels. So it's interesting. Also, just from being on both sides of that, like running a stand-up festival competition and then being a part of another one and like I've done a few and that one the guys who run Big Sky are great like I think Lucas Seeley and and Augie Smith they're incredible and Jessa Reed is involved and and Aaron Woodall it's like a really good and uh, Natasha Pearl Hansen they have such a good group of humans running that and it's very organized so they speak my language I'm very organized I love excel spreadsheets I can tell they do too so from the moment that you get you know they call you on the phone and say you know hey we'd like to select you and I remember like Lucas called me I didn't know who he was I had no idea I just submitted a clip and um and I'm sure I've submitted to them before and been rejected by the way but last year so he calls me he's like hey we'd like to offer you a spot at Big Sky and I was like (gasps) I just said yesterday, last night, that I was going to have to quit comedy. Like, <laughs> I, I love That's when it's it. always like in uh-huh. one of those days where you're like, this, if I don't get something at some point, I'm going to never do this again. Um, and, and it was so cool. And then you fly yourself up there, but they give you a hotel for the week. I got a roommate for me. It was the best because it was Kira Saltanovich. And so like I was so excited to get to room with her for a week. And uh, and you meet like people, you know, there's 28 comics in it. So it's nice, but they give you food and meals the whole time. And that experience is is really good did it feel nerve-wracking being there just because it's like a big festival or you're like I got this I'm here because they wanted me to be I mean I'm a Jew I'm always nervous like (laughs) crying in a corner so (laughs) yeah but I'm sure everyone else had fun I'm sure they had a good time uh no I'm neurotic and nervous and you get your five minutes and you know what you're doing um but you know they don't always you never know if it's gonna go well or not and it was fine. I did okay. I didn't make it into like the top ten, um, rightfully so. The people who were the top ten were incredible, and Kira, and Kira won. won. Yeah. And she's been doing it. So I mean, long. she had like three applause breaks and a standing ovation. Like it was just obvious. Um, so that was that was a, that was a good one to take away. But running my own has been well. What do I like about all these other ones, and what do I want to provide for comics? And that really comes from my own personal wants. So my goal with 
the West Side Showdown. That's what mine is oh, called. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I want to talk about it because it's, it's, I think it's such a great thing and it's that coming you put up. together. Is it's it? Co- yeah. The, um, the submissions will be open in like October. Oh, my God. I got to get ready for that. Um, so my goal with that one was what I wanted in a festival, which was getting exposure to industry and like helping comics who don't have an agent get an agent or getting a live, basically getting a live audition in front of JFL, NBC, Comedy Central, like all the ways you go, how in L.A. am I ever going to be seen by the people who are booking uh, TV right spots so i made it my goal to um move into making relationships with execs at all of those spaces so comedy central jfl um hbo i've had come down nbc funny or die TBS. and yes it, and it's such a great way because you're helping but then it, you're making connections too i mean i'm yeah. not performing i but do you, feel like i have to wear a different hat right yes. right but i yeah. mean connecting to to like executives and everything. Yeah, and and I feel like I feel more comfortable connecting to executives in a production way than I do as a and I use this word about myself. I'm not putting this on to other other people, but I I feel more comfortable not being a needy comic when I approach them as a producer. Right. You know, and I feel that's where my strength is and I feel very confident in my abilities as a producer. So I don't mind reaching out to Comedy Central being like, hey, what days can you guys come? Can you do this? Can I put you on a panel? Here's the questions. Are you okay? Like that feels really comfortable for me versus will you look at my tape? Which right. I don't which I don't want to say. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, well, you know, so it's it's different. I still haven't quite figured out necessarily how those relationships will always translate for me myself, but I feel good about um, putting other people in a position that I would want a festival to do for me one day. Right. Absolutely. How many years have you been doing this now? Since 2013. Wow. That's incredible. Six. What is that? Six? Yeah. Yeah. Six years. Six years. I've been running that festival. Now, do you, because I struggle with this at times with funny girl events of like being producer uh-huh. and wanting to be a comic uh-huh. is that a conflict in your mind of like how do I create a good balance between the two and what do I want more out of, from life yeah what's your answer I struggle with it like I'm a com- like I want to be a comic yeah and I've created rooms to to for quality stage time yeah i can't go up in la for 20 minutes me neither on my shows right then i can then you can and i built my act because uh-huh. i'm doing that yeah so then when opportunities happen for me i'm ready for them so those are all the same reasons i'm doing it was right. always to create me being able to do what i want i also love producing mm-hmm. so i really my dream like dream 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 is to show run and be a writer with my husband on a TV show. Like that's that's the end all. And I do think that all of this um, stand up performing and writing, but also then producing all these moving pieces with the festivals, with all these little shows and then ultimately like taping things for people. Yeah, I made Quincy's um, HBO stand up special and like I've shot my own stuff and made my own little stand up special that I want to shop around and stuff. That's why I was so intrigued by having 
Tom on uh, an industry panel of uh, I did a DIY. Right. How do you make it as a stand up? And I just feel like he's someone who has shot his own stand up special and figured out how to then put it online on Amazon. Right. And, yeah. and get all those clicks. And we need to share that information with other comics. Yeah. Why? Why is everything a secret? Like I recently right. posted how if you have questions about producing independent shows. I saw that. You always write like, the nicest posts. I'll, I try, I'll I, answer any questions. Yeah. I, I love I'll that you answer, said that. And you know what? Not really many people ask that many questions. And I think we're trained that we're going to wait at the comedy store for a spot. Yeah. We're going to kiss this person's ass for this and that. And that it's harder to take the initiative and start your own thing. But the payoff is better. It's a long game. It is a long game. It is a long game. So, yes, I think that that's why I went into producing. But but I really do. I do like it. I like the organization. I like I also really like when you are running an amazing show and you see you're not on stage. You've already hosted. You've opened and like someone's up there killing it and you can step back and you look at the whole room and like the whole audience is laughing and you're like for 90 minutes like I brought them all here. Yeah, and like that feels you, so good. You made their night and yeah. they come up to you and they're like this was such yeah. a fun show. Yeah. So so I don't know. I feel with the showdown, it's my dream festival that I would like to be a part of, but I don't, I, the first couple years I would host and I think a, I was too much of a baby comic at that time to be in front of comedy central. I shouldn't have done it. I regret it. I regret being two years into comedy, producing a festival and putting myself as a host in front of industry people when I was only two years in. I, I still feel like they probably remember how crappy I was, which I doubt they do. But in my own head, I was like, I just wasn't ready, you know, to, to do that. And then I just think also when it comes to something that important, when you have that, when I'm in charge of hundreds and hundreds of people coming in and out of a room and all that, I can't then get up and tell jokes clearly. Like, I can't wear that hat at I the mean, same time. I mean, it's so much to organize and yeah. everything. And I think you realize that once you're going through it. And at that point, when it comes down to the festival, it's not about me. So I have to take off the Nicole performer hat and think like, this is about someone else's career is about to pop period end of story. So how can I help facilitate that? And it's interesting. I was, I always bring back old winners to host these showcases in front of these big industry execs and you know the competitors are all super nervous but someone who just won a year ago okay um I brought him back to um, to host and it was all of the judges for his show that he was hosting was Comedy Central and he goes you don't understand I'm so nervous I just auditioned to get on their like you know half hour stuff or their live or comics you should know but I think they call it now it's called coming to the stage or something anyways he goes I just auditioned for them a few weeks ago and I don't want to now host this and blow it like what if I don't do well now and I put a they change their mind and I looked at him and I said so tonight's not about you. Your job is to open and kill, not because you want to win over those judges. You already did that. Your job is to kill so that the person competing and got that number one spot is going to have a good night. This isn't about you. Yeah, that's the host's job. Yeah, that's, that's right. I'm so and like it makes me think, well, 
that and then as soon as you release it and you are there for others and you take the pressure off yourself because it's not about you like it should then be like all right you're right and you should have fun with it right totally I, I think it freaked him out in general. I don't think I could talk him off that ledge because he had too much at stake and I don't blame him. You know, like also I get that. Like it's it's his career too. So I don't think my pep talk helped. But in general, I feel like that's what I need to say when I bring back a host that's under that pressure because they're also now going to be in front of NBC and Funny or Die or whatever. And you have to go, this just, it's not, you. this isn't your moment. Yeah, I Tom always reminds me that you do, and this helps me, and it probably is not that true, but he says if you do good or bad, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Nothing really ever happens. Agree. <laughs> I totally and agree. And that takes off ev- all the pressure I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because even if you do kill it in front of Comedy Central, who knows what's going to happen? It doesn't really Does matter. Does it matter? Yeah. No, it doesn't. They might be interested in a little bit, and mm-hmm. then they stop taking your call I mean I don't know it was interesting I was doing the kibitz room a few weeks ago and there was um I met some audience member and she goes oh I used to do stand-up and I always think it's interesting when people are like I used to do it and you're like well did you I'm like for how long because like I feel like my dad might say that right like, he was like at a campfire and he calls it a skit you know what I mean he thinks he's a stand-up right um but I said oh what do you really uh why'd you quit and she was like I'll tell you why I quit I did it for seven years and I was like, oh, legit. Okay. She goes seven years and I got on late night and I did like, I don't know what she said, whether it was Leno or Conan or or something huge. And she goes, I did my five minutes and I thought this was what I'd been working for. Like the, here it is like that moment of, uh, I set a huge dream goal and like now my life will change something will now you know I've made it to the next level and she goes and nothing changed and I was more depressed than before because I realized it didn't it didn't do anything for me and some people it does change their lives and most people it probably doesn't and I think that because I talk to Tom about this often and when he did Conan and he always says this changed his his opinion about it and when he's like, when I get Conan, da, 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 whatever he said. And I said, yeah, but then what? You have to be happy with. And I think if you're a comic, you just love doing stand up and yeah. it doesn't really fucking matter what happens because you're not going to stop doing it if you really love it. Right. You know. But we would want we want like there are people whose all their dreams come true. That's what it looks like. And then they're still not happy. I don't know. Some of them. I like to think that then they're really happy. Some of them are just so miserable. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Which is why I think it comes down to like, if you're happy before and then all your dreams come true, you'll still be happy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's why you just got to make all this, this life at this moment worth it. You never know what's going to happen. And to me, you've made it. You, we both have, we make money, we make enough money to get by and we're doing what we love. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, my only worry for me currently is am I taking up too much of my time away from my kids to go out to do shows that mean nothing? Right. That I worry about. And I get that. And I've heard other comics talk about that before. So then what do you do? Do you say like, hey, I'll go up first? to try to get out of there quickly is there a way to compromise that no because ultimately the drive is so far so long and then by the time i get back they're in bed no matter what yeah you know because like let's say it's an eight o'clock show 
it and it's you know I have to leave an hour and a half, two hours early to get anywhere out of the city. Like even just to get to Hollywood, to get to Ventura, to do that, whatever it is, you know, like, or fine, only 45 minutes away, whatever. Either way, like I'll make them dinner and I run out the door. And then if the show starts at eight, I'm not going to be back. Even if I go up early, I'll be home, what, by like 10, 1030? Right. They've right. been asleep for two hours by that point. Is that a constant struggle lately of figuring out that balance? It's it's always been that struggle. What I've realized is that they like my husband more than me, so they're fine with no. him. No, they you would like him more. Th- Everybody <laughs> likes Mickey more than me, and they should. He's just he's a superior human, and so the kids are fine. You know, they're not like getting some babysitter in exchange. And if Mickey's working, then it's my mom. You know what I mean? And like right. she's the best of all of us, so fine. So they're okay, and they've. Come t- and I, I don't know. I talked to my therapist about it for hours, and he'd always say, "Look at like you're teaching them that the female is just as normal for them to go out and pursue their dreams, and the husband stays home in the evenings to like put them to bed and do the dishes and blah 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 blah. Like, isn't this great for both of your kids just to see like modern day parenthood feminism? I don't know. Is it? Is it? Because it's like there's so many crappy shows that when you come home, you're like, well, that wasn't worth going out and missing tucking in my kids that see so yes that's exactly what I'm nervous about every time so I feel like I have to and I don't know what you do on your drive over to a show I'll say these are the things I want to work on so that each time I can get something from the experience and even if it's like an empty house then I'm like all right well then I'll work on the new bit that like I can't do in front of a full house anyway you know and I've tried to tell myself that when it is a great audience and I can't do any of my new stuff because now you have to give them a good show. They're paying or it's full or whatever it is that I need to do those shows to stay in shape and keep those jokes strong and going. So I try in my head to rationalize that they're all worth it. Yeah, no, that's a good way to, to, to I'll get think something. of it. I'll learn something or like, oh, work on crowd. Like, I feel like that's the good thing about doing the kibitz room is typically I have to host. It's a rough bar show. So I have to now for the first time get better and better at crowd work, which I'm terrible at. You're a great host. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm I mean, really good at that. I'll have some awkward cr- crowd work moments. But you do it. Yeah, I mean, I like hosting too now. Like, it depends. I like when there's just no, when you're just setting the tone, you know, and you're just engaging them and getting everybody focused. Yeah. But I also like going up later. It just depends, you know. I don't know. Yeah, well, a host takes one for the team. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Uh, let's um anything let's how do we follow you uh are you do you have a website you have your tour dates Ugh, i love how you s- make it sound so fancy it is i don't tour you're anywhere. a fancy woman yeah right i should i should update my website it's nicoleblaine.com but it's not at all updated or instagram or i'm nick blaine and i see b-l-a-i-n-e on instagram and uh facebook is just nicole blaine if you see a picture of a girl with you know makeup streaming down her crying slash oh, yeah, smiling I love that. face yeah. i love that headshot that's me it's so great and what was i always going to mention oh so for if people want to compete in the west side the showdown, showdown yeah then just go to westsidecomedy.com um things that, like i said we'll be opening in october for a five minute submission that's the cheapest month the first month is a lot cheaper i think i don't remember if it's like 20 or 25 bucks to submit the first month and then it goes up five dollar increments after that i was gonna do the one last year yeah but it's it's such it it's such it's so many pros that i want to be i want to probably wait a little bit 
listen, I, I've said to everybody, like, this should be when you have your perfected late night five. It's that tight five. That, yeah. And I, I also think, like Tom has said, too, like with Big Sky or, or, or the showdown that I want to have like a solid half hour. Yeah. And because then you need to be able to right then be able to run with it if if they're interested. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You don't only want to have that tight five. Right. Right. That is true. I think that and I you know, I don't know what, how you feel about it. I think that it's like you got to It's a, that balance of being um, f- excited, like n- kind of um, just I was gonna, I'm trying to figure out the wording for it. Like what you want to stand out and. But it's like, how do you figure it, that out? That if you, are, are, am I ready? Am I standing out? You know what I mean? On a lineup, it's a. Hard, it, cause, I agree. Because sometimes you're competing with, and I did one. You're competing with people who have done it thirty years. Yeah. That I don't think have a right to be there if thirty years. Like I don't know. Right. I don't I know, know your opinion on it, but that's a good question. Well, I don't know. I think the sweet spot is some something after seven, right? Like I, I really do think anything before seven, you're probably learning still some stuff you know what I mean and then I think ultimately probably the real sweet spot is around 10 which I'm not at yet so I'm like in my head like I'm like oh I better be even better by the time I get to yeah. 10 years I was thinking 10 to 15 yeah. and then if you're extremely exceptional going up every night like really yeah. crazy like talented then there's ex- of course exceptions but yeah. I think like 10 to 15 yeah, I agree is that time is that time to Really? Yeah, I mean, it. it's legitimately when you really do think, like you said, you have a half an hour and Comedy Central, you want this is the, your first impression and you want to blow them away. It can't it, it's very rare if it's under only, you know, five years. I mean, how can you be any good at anything at that point? Yeah. I don't even know. Oh. I don't so, know. yeah, no, the best thing I feel like if I can give any like press uh for my thing is the industry panels which I like even more than the competition so Mm -hmm. I do each night so there's five nights and each night I have a different theme for a big industry panel and I get these big wigs on the stage and I host and I asked a bunch of questions that I'm always dying to know and then I open it up to a Q&A so we always have an agents and managers one and I get you know big agents out there CAA um, I've had WME we've had Paradigm I've had ICM and then some really great managers and then also there's usually like a literary people man you know agents will come out too so I'll do that one night and then this last year I loved it I did um, I had a HBO Comedy Central NBC Fox Disney because that ABC Fox Disney are all the same but they're different <laughs> reps um I'm trying to think who else was on that one. Um, So I just did like a how to like even pitch a show. So we talked about like pitching a show, writing a show, getting, you know, what they're looking for, whether you have to be known or unknown or going through agents and managers. And, you know, Comedy Central is pretty incredible with how to submit to them. And they're really open and honest about just submitting. And and so they give away a lot of tricks of the trade. And then another night I had uh, Tom... And a bunch of people who did it themselves. So people who have successful web series or like Tom, a stand-up special that's getting clicks and like, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, and it's free, right? Yeah. All these panels are it's, free and open incredible. to the public. Yeah. So this is why it's my favorite thing. It's, it's amazing. Not, it's when, not about competition. When are you going to get that information for, right? And, and, and it's, it, you're helping so many people and it not, and you're not like a, you know, a shady guy who's just like, I just want 
a hundred grand out of these people like you're just fucking helping because I wanted to know these questions and didn't like I said I I felt dumb asking them and how else might but if you say hey big executive at uh, HBO um, would you sit on a stage and let all these people ask you questions and then all of a sudden they're like yeah because it's it's different you know and then they they feel like they're helping a big group of people and so all those things that you'd like to pick their brain about like I ask all those questions Um, my other favorite night was I had a script to screen and I had a showrunner from Friends um, a production executive a top executive from Red Hour which is Ben Stiller's production company Mm. and then a TBS executive so it would go from like production company to pitching to a network and then how it was running a show wow and so that was that was one of my other favorite nights and then I have the big booker ones so I've had some late night bookers come in the past I've had Jeff Singer from JFL you know what is he looking for in a tape and how to submit to late night so I've had JP Buck from Conan come out um, and Jessica um, from she does uh, Colbert. Oh yeah, Jessica Pilot. Yeah. So we've had some really cool speakers. I'm bummed. I missed. I'm gonna go because I was working those days. But I'm gonna go because that's incredible. Where are you gonna get that information? I know. So that's fun. So you I have like people taking that. notes and recording. Yes, they. I have. I do. I say no recording. Right. Because none of these people want to be. Right. I don't right. want to have anything held against them. Um, but people bring their laptops and they type away. Wow. And I recommend and then people will share notes and everything like I was, you know, I can't take notes. So I always have someone take notes for me and send them off. And I know that like um, Kellen Erskine. Yes. One. And then he after did. that, he he blew up. I mean, it's it's incredible. Our, our buddy Sean Grant got second, I think. Yes. And he's he's he amazing. And so, then yeah, he's just a JFL. So both of them. um was where they got seen was at the showdown so kellen won and got an agent from it and that agent immediately got him on to conan and then i think later he even did kimmel yeah and then sean grant just this last year placed second and uh jeff singer from jfl was in the audience on his showdown night and uh brought him into callbacks for jfl and yeah went from there and, and then he so. just did new faces yeah and he got new faces from it so yeah. i felt really like i was like good all this hard work is paying off for people and not just that sean is one of like the nicest guys Humans. i had him at my show it was my birthday he bought me a bottle of wine he would like he was on the show fucking sean grant he's amazing he's the best same I, thing with kellen the two of them and so it's mm-hmm. so incredible you're helping so many good comics that deserve it you Yay. know it makes me emotional because I, when when someone is so genuine and gets gets what they deserve it's, it's that's what best. it's about yeah no more assholes no <laughs> and we need to come up together and we need to help each other and listen yes. i sat on that stage for years saying more women need to submit more women need to submit and when i post that the showdown is accepting applications i will always i have like a very long list of all these facebook groups that exist all over the country and about like comics but i'm always searching for all the women groups like how do we get this out to more women and increasing the submissions has been interesting cuz the first few years i did it there was like 20% of the submissions were women. And Such I was like, bummer. that's insane. And we moved it up last year. It was, um, I think it was like closer to 40. And I was like, I'm, at least we're, we're, we're edging towards 50. My goal you, this year is to get 50% of the women to apply. Do you think it's because we're just more, we're just harder on ourselves? God, that's a good question. Well, look at us. Like, even you're, like, thinking about it more logically. Like, oh, well, you know, I need to wait until I'm really ready. 
And so maybe we're just a little bit more cerebral about it. Yeah. In a beautiful way, you know, and all these other guys are just throwing their five minute sets around. I have no idea. Yeah. That c- it's they're not so better. <laughs> the, well, trust me. I'm watching the submission <laughs> videos and they're not higher quality. Right. Right. You know, it's not a gender issue like that. It's it's just they're just not applying or I'll tag. Applying. I'll tag my um girlfriends that are con- like julia austin was mm-hmm. w- was the top 10 yep. i think on she was on, phenomenal yeah she's amazing and yep. then i think for uh, my friend julie kid who's doing funniest housewives i uh-huh. think i tagged you uh-huh. and yeah, i tagged and I about submitted. Uh-huh. about 10 w- and then you're in the this I'm is in the finals coming up this yeah week. you're mm-hmm. in the fi- yeah i'm excited oy, oy, oy. you're gonna kill it we'll see gotta figure out what jokes to do that room is hard man you know the oh, youngest yeah. person in that room is 82 <laughs> oh my I, I had to i had to do the last uh spot like when they're doing up right you have ca- to do the cleanup when they're counting the votes and the, all the, the lights are on yeah 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 and Good i luck. <laughs> and i got these old dudes that are not even looking at me they're what i was like you're watching the tv the tv's not even on <laughs> i can't even <laughs> oh nicole hilarious. it's been so fun having you on thanks for letting me be here thanks in my house it. with you <laughs> so check it, follow Nicole, support all her projects and Westside uh, Showdown and come up and apply for sure or come to the industry panels for free. So that, by the way, that'll be probably in April. I haven't scheduled the dates for it, but it's usually always the beginning of April. And tell all your tell all your funny female friends to submit to and submit to more shit. Yes. We need more women. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.